Almighty God, thank you, Father, for this opportunity to study and to continue considering your holy word, your infallible word, Father. Thank you for the revelation of Scripture. Thank you for the apostles who wrote these things down for us to know. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who revealed the truth to the apostles. Thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. Father, we, we bow our heads as your people, uh, expressing thanksgiving for your word, uh, asking for wisdom and discretion as we try to apply your word accurately into our lives. And Father, we're also mindful of our country uh, in the turmoil uh, in our country right now, Father. Uh, we're mindful of all the unrest and all the different areas of this country. Father, we pray uh, that you will bless our leaders. We pray that you will bless us as your people to shine our lights during this very dark time. Bless us to show the world hope and love uh, through our behavior uh, as your people. Uh, Father, we know uh, that the answer uh, to hate, the answer to racism and violence and all these things uh, is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the key uh, to your creation being everything that you desire them to be. And so, Father, bless our country right now. Uh, bless things to get better, Father. Bless peace and love to prevail. And bless us and our efforts to spread your gospel and to try to instill in the hearts of people your love and your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good evening. Thank you for tuning in tonight as we study the Word of God. It is Wednesday evening. And I'm very thankful for another opportunity to study the Word of God with you. Uh, whether you are in Phoenix and part of the Monta Vista Church of Christ, or whether you're on the West Coast, East Coast, the Midwest, or in some other country, wherever you may be at this time, I want to thank you for watching. Thank you for studying the Word of God. Thank you for your interest in spiritual things. I pray that in our efforts this evening, God will be glorified and you will be encouraged. Uh, before we get into our study, I just want to uh, appeal to you uh, to pray for our country right now. Uh, pray for those in positions of authority. Uh, pray for those who are hurting right now and those who are grieving. Just pray that good can prevail, that the word of God can prevail that we as Christians can shine our lights and be the kind of people that God needs us to be. And hopefully as we shine our lights, we can help draw people to God because that is what it's all about. It's about helping people go to heaven, helping people know Jesus. And I think we can all see uh, from the violence and all of the, the very ugly things that are going on in the world right now that people need Jesus. They need him more than ever. And I ask that you pray for our country and, and pray for God's people all around this country uh, that God can use us even during a time like this to do some good and to help people see the light and the love and the truth of the gospel. So over the past few weeks, we've been studying from the book of 1 John 
we actually have concluded First John. We concluded First John uh, last Lord's Day. We studied First John chapter five, and beginning in this class and going into the next class, which will be on the Lord's Day, we plan on studying the other two epistles of John, Second John and Third John. We're going to study Second John in this class. And 2 John is actually the, the second shortest book in the New Testament. Uh, the only book that is shorter as far as the number of words go uh, compared to 2 John. The only book that is shorter than John, 2 John, is the book of 3 John. So 2 John is a very short book. As you can see, it is only one chapter, but even though it is a short book, I want to suggest that it does contain a very powerful message. It does come from God. It is inspired of God. God felt the need to include this book in the canon, and because of that, it is worthy of our study and consideration tonight. And so let's read this short book Let's read the 13 verses of 2 John and just give an overview of what is being uh, promoted and taught by the apostle in this epistle. In 2 John 1, the scripture says, The lady, to the chosen, the elder, I'm sorry, to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. For the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone go, who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. Okay, so as we begin studying this very short book this evening, let me begin by giving you just a little background information to kind of set up the context of this book. The author of this book is generally agreed upon by most scholars to be the Apostle John. The Apostle John, and after you, after you study 1 John like we have done over the past few weeks, I think you can see that even though John doesn't specifically uh, identify himself in this book, 
it's pretty clear that, that he wrote it because this book is written in a very similar way uh, as the book of 1 John. It's very similar to the book of 1 John. There's a lot of the same kinds of things being addressed in this book that are also addressed in 1 John. And so you really don't need to be a Bible scholar to be able to recognize that due to the same writing technique, the same person who wrote this book also wrote 1 John. And if it is generally agreed upon that John wrote the book of 1 John, then I think it's pretty clear also and pretty concrete that the Apostle John also wrote the book of 2 John. Uh, the Apostle John also wrote the Gospel of John. He also wrote the next book we're going to study, 3 John. He contributed uh, to four inspired books of the New Testament. And like all of the other books that John wrote, like the Gospel of John in 1 and 3 John, 2 John is also believed to be written towards the end of the first century. Uh, probably between 80 and 95 A.D., uh, towards the end of John's life. It is probably one of the final books to be written uh, in, the, in the New Testament. Uh, John is believed to have written all of his books, the books that you find in the canon, towards the end of the first century. In fact, there's another book that it is generally agreed upon that he wrote that, that I failed to make mention of, and that's the book of Revelation. So you have the Gospel of John, you have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation. So you have five books that were written by the Apostle John uh, towards the end of the first century when he is probably a seasoned man in life. He is very, uh, he's probably very aged at this time. He's probably an older man. In fact, I think he gives us a hint of that in verse 1 when he says, The elder to the chosen lady. Uh, the idea of being the elder there may be a reference to John being an older and seasoned man at the time he wrote this book. Now, the purpose of this book, I think you will see, and you probably uh, caught, that there's really two purposes, it appears, to this book. First, this book is a book of commendation. It commends the brethren for doing the right things, for doing the things of God, and this book also provides a warning. There is a warning in this book against a very serious danger. Now, for the purpose of this study, we want to divide this book into three sections, three units. And the first one is found in verses 1 through 4. In verse number 1, after John refers to himself as the elder, he then says that he is writing to the chosen lady and her children. He says, the elder to the chosen lady and her children. Someone says, who is that? Who is John writing to? Who is, who is the chosen lady and her children? Well, I want to throw out a couple of common beliefs that most folks have about that. One belief is that when John refers to the chosen lady here, he's referring to a very specific person, probably a sister in the church who was a godly woman and had uh, been good to the people of God, had been a good servant to God's people. 
Many suggest that the chosen lady may be a reference to a specific person, a specific lady in the church, but an even more common belief, and the one I hold to personally, is that when John uses this language, chosen lady and her children, he's not talking about a specific person, but instead he's using the, the language lady and her children to refer to the church, uh, maybe even refer to a local Church. I mean, if John is using this language, lady and her children, in fact, there's also some other language here to highlight this, this idea of chosen or elect, some translations say. If John is referring to the church or a local church in that way, that would not be an uncommon or unfamiliar language uh, that is used in the New Testament. Uh, throughout the New Testament, we find the gospel writers, particularly Paul and Peter, referring to God's people as chosen, as elect, as special. So it is probably the case, and the position I hold to is that John, when he uses this language, he's just using very familiar and common language that the gospel writers use to refer to the people of God. Uh, to refer to disciples, to refer to the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. In fact, that idea, I believe, perfectly harmonizes with verse number 13 of this same book. In 2 John verse 13, he says, The children of your chosen sister greet you. Uh, I think the idea there is John is sending a greeting or a salutation from one church that he was familiar with to another church. And so this idea of chosen lady, elect lady, very common language in the New Testament refer to refer to a church, to refer to a group of believers, those who have been called out of the world and are followers of Jesus Christ. That's my thinking there. I think John here is addressing this, this letter to a group of disciples. And John does a few things in regards to this particular group. In verse number one, he expresses love for them. He, he says that he loves them. He loved them in the truth. I like that because it shows me that John was a man who practiced what he preached. He practiced what he preached. As we saw in the book of 1 John, one of the big things that John talks a lot about is the topic of love. In fact, he's commonly referred to as the apostle of love. He refers to himself in the Gospel of John as a disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, he tells, tells us a lot about the teaching that Jesus gave in his ministry regarding love and how to properly love God. And then in the book of 1 John, he also talks about how to properly love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. John commonly appeals to brethren to make sure they love God and love one another. He talks more about love probably than any other writer of the New Testament. And here in verse number one of this book, we see that he didn't just promote the idea of love or urge Christians to be about love. He also practiced love in his own life. He also loved his brethren. At the beginning of this book, he tells his brothers and sisters that he loves them. He loves them in the truth. And I want to submit that we need to be the same way. We never need to be ashamed to tell our brothers and sisters that, that we love them. John was a man who was not ashamed to express his love 
to those who were part of the spiritual family. But in addition to expressing his love for these brethren, John also expresses thanksgiving. He also expresses thanksgiving that these brethren were walking in the truth. You see that language, walking in the truth. You know, this, this letter, as I said earlier, it's, it's very interesting because John uses a lot of the same language he uses in the book of 1 John. I mean, even in these first few verses, we see that. In verse number 2, John uses the word abide. Abide. The idea of abiding is the idea of fellowship, being in fellowship. We saw this word abide frequently throughout the book of 1 John. In fact, the main theme of the book of 1 John was the theme of abiding, being in fellowship with God and with one another. In verse number 2, John also uses the word truth. Uh, he uses the word truth, I'm sorry, in verse number 1, in verse number 2, and also in verse number 4. The word truth is a word that is commonly used by John. Truth and Christians abiding in truth and promoting truth. That was a big deal to the apostle because there was a lot of people during this time who were claiming to have the truth, who were claiming to know more about the truth even than the apostles knew. And John used the word truth frequently to, to really emphasize the idea that he and the other apostles, they had the truth. They knew the truth because it had been revealed to them by the spirit of truth, who is the Holy Spirit. And so John used the word abide frequently in his writings. He used the word truth frequently in this book and in the book of first john and then there's also the word walk in verse number four again he says i'm glad to find some of your children walking in the truth the idea of christians walking is another idea that is commonly promoted throughout the new testament especially in john's writings walking in the truth the idea of walking is again the idea of fellowship the idea of being in agreement and purpose. We need to walk with God. We need to walk with one, with one another. We need to walk in the truth. John, in this book, uses a lot of the same terminology that he uses in the book of 1 John. Abiding, truth, walk. All of these concepts are concepts that we've already studied in the book of 1 John. John says these Christians were walking in the truth. And he says he was happy to know that they were walking in the truth. He was happy to know that they were walking not in the false teaching that was being promoted by the Gnostics. And we've already talked in previous videos about Gnostics. John was happy to know that these Christians were, had not been deceived by Gnostics. They were not walking in the false teachings that the Gnostics gave about Jesus. Instead, they were walking in the truth. They were holding fast to the teaching that had been given to them by the apostles. John was happy that the labor of he and the other apostles had not been in vain up to this point. He was happy that these people were still right with God. And I want to suggest that that same thing should also make us happy today. You know, over the past few years that I've been blessed to preach the gospel, and I give glory to God to this, none to myself. I give glory to God and to the gospel. 
but I have been blessed to, uh, to baptize several people into the body of Christ, people in Texas, Florida, Tennessee, and even here in Arizona. And when I hear of people, whether it's through social media or through just talking with friends that I have, when I hear of, of people that I was blessed to teach and even immerse into Christ, when I hear of those folks still walking in the truth, uh, even though I may not have talked to them in 10, 12, even 15 years, it brings a lot of joy to my heart. It brings a lot of joy to my heart to, uh, to know of people that I was blessed to know and even help bring to Jesus. Before I even thought about being a preacher, when I hear of, of those folks that God, I hope, used me to help bring to him, it really brings a lot of joy to my heart. Uh, it really brings me a lot of joy to hear of people that I know and saw get baptized still walking in the truth part of local churches that are faithful to God and worshiping God correctly, uh, teaching their children the word of God, even doing evangelism and sharing with other people the same message that I was blessed to share with them. That brings a lot of joy to my heart. And at the same time, it brings me a lot of pain when I hear of people that I know uh, who leave the truth, who leave Jesus. And unfortunately, I've heard more of those stories than, than the previous and so, you know, while I do feel a lot of pain when I hear people leave the Lord and leave the, leave the truth, I am thankful that I do know of some people uh, that I have been blessed to teach uh, and even immerse into Christ who are still holding fast to the, to the teaching, who, who are walking in the truth and they're teaching their children to do the same thing, and they brought others to Christ. That really brings a lot of joy to my heart. And that brought a lot of joy to John's heart, as you can see. John was happy to know that these people, they were, they were walking in truth. Now, in verses 6 through 7, or 5 through 6, I'm sorry, John revisits two common topics, two topics that we've really already kind of focused on when we studied 1 John. And the two topics are the topics of love, and obedience to God. In verse number 5, going back to 2 John, in verse number 5, John says, Now I ask you, lady, and again, I think the, the lady here is a reference to God's people that he's writing to, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which you've had from the beginning, that we, that we love one another. Notice that very same language that we find in the Gospel of John, and in the book of 1 John, it's here too. This idea that, that loving one another, the commandment to love one another, that's not, a, that's not a new commandment. That's an old commandment. That is a, a commandment and a standard that God has always had for his people, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So John, again, is urging brethren to love one another, and not just love one another in word, but also in deed, to love one another like God loves us. He also talks about the need to walk in the commandments of God. Verse number six, and this is love, that we walk according to his, to his commandments. This is something else that we studied in the book of 1 John several times. And then in John 14, verse 15, John quotes Jesus when Jesus says, If you love me, you, you'll keep my commandments. 
One of the, the big things that John seems to want to promote in his writings is the idea that if you really want to please God, if you really want to be in fellowship with God, if you really want to express love for God, then you need to do two things. You need to love those who have also been born of God, those who are part of God's family. You need to love your brothers and your sisters in Christ, and you also need to, to walk in the truth. You also need to keep the commandments of God. When John talks about the commandments of God here, he's not talking about the Old Testament commandments. He's not talking about that law that was given to Israel and just to Israel at Mount Sinai. Instead, he's talking about the commandments of the New Covenant, the commandments of the New Testament. He's talking about that which Jesus instituted when he died on the cross. And so John says we need to love one another and we need to walk in the commandments of God. We need to uphold the standard that God expects us to keep. We need to do that because in verses 7 through 11, John says that there are many deceivers in the world. You see, part of the reason why John was so ecstatic that these Christians were walking in the truth and part of the reason why he urges them to continue walking in the truth it's because in verse number seven, he says, many deceivers have gone out into the world. When John talks about deceivers here in verse seven, he's referring to false teachers. He's referring to antichrist, as he also says at the end of verse number seven. He's referring to specifically Gnostics, those who deny the fact that Jesus came in the flesh. John says that he was happy that these Christians were walking in the truth and they needed to continue walking in the truth because there were a lot of deceivers in the world at this time. There were a lot of antichrists, a lot of people who were advocating the idea and promoting the idea that Jesus did not come in the flesh. And again, this is something else that John talks a lot about in his writings. 1 John chapter 4, remember 1 John 4, verse 1? We studied this a couple of weeks ago, 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. The spirits here is, is a reference to teachers, preachers. Test the spirits to see whether they are for, from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Notice the same ideas here. Verse 2, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that, is, that it is coming and now it is already in the world. The Antichrist we're already in the world, even in the first century. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Notice how John says that the Christians in the first century needed to, needed to understand that there were a lot of deceivers in the world. There were a lot of false 
teachers in the world, anti-Christ, those who are anti-Jesus, anti what he taught and reveals in his gospel. Particularly in this case, they were anti-Jesus coming as both God and man. Anti-Jesus coming in the flesh. John tells these Christians, both in 1 John and 2 John, that there are a lot of deceivers or false teachers in the world. In fact, John has some things he wants to say about these false teachers. In verse number 8, going back to 2 John, he says, watch out for them. Watch yourselves. This language reminds me of the language Paul uses in Acts 20. And in verses 28 through 31, I'm going over to Acts the 20th chapter. And before leaving the Ephesian elders, he says in Acts 20 and in verse number 28, verse 28, he says, be on guard. That's the idea of watching. Being alert, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves, the savage wolves, there are the false teachers. Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. The flock there is a reference to the people of God that these shepherds were over. He says, and from among your own selves, that is, from among the elders of this church, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, verse 31, be on the alert, watch, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each of you with, with tears. What Paul is doing there is the same thing that John is doing in 2 John. Both Paul and John are warning Christians to be watchful, to be aware of false teachers, to be able to recognize these people and guard themselves against them. This is a common warning given to God's people, and the reason why is because of the danger false teachers pose. Going back to verse number 8 of 2 John, John tells these Christians to watch yourself to watch yourself against these deceivers so that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. The idea there is if these Christians allow themselves to be drawn away and deceived by these false teachers that were among them in the first century, they would have given up their salvation. They would have lost their souls. You see, one cannot be saved if they don't believe the truth about Jesus. That is a core aspect of the gospel. If these Christians allow these Gnostic teachers to deceive them in regards to the coming of Jesus in the flesh and that it doesn't matter what you do in the flesh because all flesh is inherently evil, if these Christians had been deceived and drawn away by that doctrine, they would have given up their reward. They would have given up their home in heaven. They would have lost their souls. So John is essentially saying that this doctrine that was being spread in the first century, this was a, a doctrine that could have caused people to be lost. These issues that they were dealing with 
where salvation issues and the same principle applies today. Just like there are salvation issues or there were salvation issues that these Christians needed to be watchful for and to be mindful of, the same is true for us today. We also need to be watchful and alert that we are not drawn away by false teachers and that we don't lose our souls because we allow them to deceive us into adopting doctrines that are completely opposed to biblical teaching. There are, there are certain issues that the gospel promotes that, that we have to know the truth on, that we have to believe, that we have to make sure that we put into practice in our lives. You know, we may not all agree on the book of Revelation. That's a difficult book. And we may not all agree on the book of Zechariah and many of the parts of Daniel. Those are some difficult books. But there are some things that we have to agree on, that we have to promote, and that we can't allow false teachers to deceive us on. Someone says, what are those issues? Well, one is baptism. We may not agree on, on the book of Revelation, but we got to agree on baptism. Baptism is a salvation issue. We cannot allow people to deceive us into believing that baptism is not essential to salvation when Peter says in 1 Peter 3 and verse 21 that baptism now saves us. Baptism is an issue that if we don't get it right, it will cause, we, will, we will give up our reward. It will cause us to lose our souls. Worship is another one. We have to worship God in spirit and in truth. We got to get that one right. Morality is another one. We have to believe and practice the truth concerning marriage, divorce, and remarriage. We have to practice the truth concerning that how it is wrong for one to have sex outside of marriage. We have to practice the truth concerning being honest and ethical and avoiding thievery and covetousness and greed. These are issues that are of the utmost importance when it comes to God's will, they're clearly described for us in the scripture. And if we don't get them right, we will give up our reward. These are fundamental and important issues. And we have to never let anyone deceive us and lead us astray when it comes to them. In fact, going back to 2 John, in verse number 9, John talks about why this is so important. He revisits the topic of fellowship. He says that if we want to be in fellowship with God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ, then we must abide in the doctrine of Christ. We must abide in the doctrine of Christ. When John talks about the doctrine of Christ there, he's talking about the gospel of Christ. He's talking about the teachings of Christ. He's talking about these 27 books that make up our New Testament. We can't go outside of this. We have to teach only what is promoted in this book. John says if we go too far, if we go outside of what's found and what God has revealed to us, we won't have fellowship with God. 
We won't have fellowship with God the Father, and we won't have fellowship with Jesus Christ. It is a package deal. When it came to these Christians, if they didn't just listen to what the apostles taught concerning the coming of Jesus in the flesh, they weren't going to have fellowship with God. They were going to give that up. And in principle, that same thing is true today. If we don't just stay with what the doctrine says about baptism, morality, worship, if we, if we don't just stay with what the gospel says about these things, we won't have fellowship with God. We will have a relationship with him or Jesus, and we can't be saved without being in fellowship with him. In verse number 10, going back to 2 John, John says that not only do we need to stay or abide, stay within the doctrine of Christ, but he also says that we need to avoid those who promote a doctrine that goes beyond the doctrine of Christ. So we got to make sure we stay within the doctrine and we got to make sure that we avoid those who go beyond it. We got to do both of those things. When it comes to those who go beyond the doctrine of Christ, who teach error that will cause people to lose their souls, John says we don't need to give those people any kind of audience. We don't need to give them any kind of encouragement. We don't need to give them any kind of aid in their efforts. I think that's the idea of what he's trying to get at in verse number 10 when he says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, if a false teacher is coming to you and he's not teaching the truth to you about Jesus, if he's not even teaching the truth to you about what to do to be right with Jesus, if he's coming to you with a false doctrine that will cause people to be lost, do not receive him into your house. Don't give him a greeting. Don't be part of anything he's doing. Don't encourage him. Don't give him an audience. Not saying be mean and ugly to him and hateful towards him. That's not what John is saying. He is saying don't give this person any kind of aid or support in their efforts. In verse 11, John says that if we give these kind of people aid and support, we become participants with them. We become guilty of the same kind of evil that they are promoting. And verses 7 going down to verse number 11, the point of that is John is warning us against false teachers. He is saying don't support false teachers, don't aid false teachers, don't encourage false teachers, don't give them an audience. Make sure you avoid them at all costs. Don't fall for their teaching. Always make sure that you study the scriptures for yourself. Listen to the inspired writers and just stay with what they have written down. If we just stay with what the apostles have revealed to us in the 27 books that make up the New Testament, we'll be fine. We'll go to heaven. And then in verses 12 through 13, the book concludes with a couple of things. First, John expresses a desire to say more to these Christians. He says he wasn't going to write it down. He was going to say what he had to say to them in person. So there's more he wanted to say. He says, I'll say the rest to you in person. So there is a desire here for John to meet up with these brethren at some point and talk more with them about these issues. 
And then in verse 13, there's a final greeting from one group of Christians to another group. So I think you have two different groups of brethren that John is familiar with. And John is really trying to get these brethren to walk in the truth, to be in fellowship with God, and to be encouraging to one another. And so that's essentially the book of 2 John. As far as application goes, let me give you uh, three things to think about as far as application goes. First, I want you to take away from this book that there, that from this book we see there is a need to care about the spiritual welfare of our brethren. There's a need to care about whether or not those of like precious faith walk in the truth, that they stay on the truth. I need to care about your soul more than anything else. And you need to care about my soul more than anything else. When I know if you're doing what is right, when I know if you walk in the truth, that needs to bring such great joy to my heart because above, above anything else, I want you to go to heaven. I want you to be saved. That needs to be our top desire. John here is talking about the spiritual welfare of these Christians. And as you read this book, there is no doubt that you can hear ringing in your ear John's heart and how John really cares about these people and above anything else, he wants them to be saved. I think you see that when you read this book. John cared about the souls of these people. And we need to be the same way towards all of our brothers and sisters today. Secondly, there's also a need in this book, from what we've studied, to abide in the doctrine. To just stay in the doctrine, the doctrine of Christ. From this book, it is clear that we can't just do whatever we want in religion. We can't just practice whatever we want to practice. We can't just believe whatever we want to believe. No, we got to study the doctrine of Christ. We have to believe the, God, the doctrine of Christ, and we must practice what is found in the doctrine of Christ. John says that if we just stay within the boundary of the doctrine, we can live our lives knowing that right now, we have fellowship not only with Jesus, but his Father who's in heaven. And so this book promotes the idea or the need to abide in the doctrine. And then thirdly, and probably the most obvious point, this book also talks about the need to be weary and alert of false teachers. This book lets us know that false teachers or false teaching is a reality it is something that has troubled the church since its very beginning. And it is something that will trouble the church until the Lord comes back. It's always been a big problem for God's people, false teacher, false teaching. And we need to always be mindful of that. We need to always be able to recognize that. And the only way we recognize it is by constant study. The more we study, the more we get our heads and our minds in the doctrine of Christ, the more we can recognize false teaching and false teachers, and we can know to avoid them and not fall for their deception. And so always be weary of those who advocate a doctrine that is contrary to the doctrine of Christ. And so that is our study in the book of 2 John. I hope that will bless you and help you, Lord willing, on the Lord's day, we'll look at 3 John.